Good morning, church. It's good to see you. As we continue through our series in the Gospel of Luke, uh, probably, uh, I guess over a year and a half ago, as I was preparing for, beginning to prepare for this uh, this series through the Gospel of Luke, preaching through Luke. I was just reading through uh, through the whole Gospel, um, and uh, something that I kept writing in the margins uh, as I was reading through was the letters PNP, which is an acronym that to me uh, it meant pulls no punches. Right? Jesus tends to. I just it, as you as you read this and as we've preached through this, and maybe you've noticed, it just seems like he keeps saying difficult things. He keeps laying it on uh, the the religious leaders and the Pharisees and and calling out their self righteousness. Uh, and and today is no exception. But it's it's made me reflect on and think about this week how thankful I am uh, for you, how thankful I am for a church that loves to hear. God's word, that loves to hear what Jesus says, uh, regardless of, of what it is. Sometimes I'll prepare a sermon and I just think, man, after this one, I just don't know if anyone's gonna ever come back again. <laughs> uh, but man, after that one, it seems like you, you, you're the most encouraging. Thank you for, for sharing that with us. Uh, and so th- thank you. And this is the, the kind of church that I, I want to be a part of and, and I want to, to pastor and I want to preach uh, here because uh, you do love God's word and, and want to hear what he says. And so the tension has been building, right? The tension has been building even since the very start of Jesus' ministry. Uh, from the very beginning, uh, there's been tension with the authorities of the time. Uh, but but uh, we, we've seen it continue to build. He's been moving. Jesus has set his face to get to Jerusalem. And, and last week, we saw him come into Jerusalem. He came in. He cleared out the, uh, the money changers those who are buying and selling in the temple. Uh, and, and then he said, and this is, or then it says in, in verse 47 of chapter 19, every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people were looking for a way to kill him, but they could not find a way to do it because all the people were captivated by what, he heard, what they heard. And so if you can imagine this scene, This is the temple. It's the center of Jewish life and culture and worship. Thousands upon thousands of people are gathering each week to hear Jesus teach. Jesus walks into the temple each morning past the scribes, past the Pharisees, past the elders, past the chief priests. And he goes and he takes his seat and he begins to teach. And you can just see them, can't you, in the back, just, just watching him day after day and just thinking, we've got to get rid of this guy. How do we get rid of him? How do we kill him? The tension is palpable, right? <laughs> Every day this is happening in the temple. And so, so the tension builds and it is, continues to build. And this, this chapter we'll see is just a head-on collision uh, this week and next week between Jesus and uh, the, the religious authorities. And so three points today, three sections to the message. Uh, one is the question, who do you think you are? The question that the, the, the religious leaders ask um, next, they should know, Jesus says, and then we'll, we'll ask who, who Jesus says he is. Who do you think you are? They should know, and who Jesus says he is. Let's take a moment to pray, and we'll dive in. I'll give you a moment just in, in your seat to pray for yourself. Would you ask God to speak to you today?
Would you pray also for your neighbor, a person sitting beside you, a person on your row, a person around you, that God would speak to them? And last, would you pray for me? Just that I would be faithful to God's word and I would be helpful to you. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for bringing us here today. Uh, you know that we need you. Um, Lord, you know that that praying, this prayer is no formality. <laughs> it's it's a, a reality and a cry because we can do nothing good without you. Lord, we have so many barriers in our hearts to belief. And so would you knock those down? We are, there's so many distractions. Would you take those away? There's so many ways that Satan wants to come in and steal your word when it hits our hearts and not let it bear fruit. And so would you bind him and would Satan have no power here to distract people, to take away the word as 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 we hear it? And, and Lord, would, would you make our hearts, each of us, each of us, young and old, would you make us good soil that your word would sink down deeply and would bear fruit to eternal life a hundredfold? Please do this in Jesus' name, amen. Who do you think you are? Verse uh, one of chapter 20 one day as he was teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came and said to him, tell us by what authority you're doing these things. Who is it who gave you this authority? I remember a couple years ago, Pastor Barry and I were out in front of Team uh, on Main Street in Tomball, Tomball Emergency Assistance Ministries, uh, and we, we would bring a canopy and some folding chairs and breakfast tacos and tables and waters and just set it all up uh, and, and just talk with people, meet people who are waiting there for Team to open uh, and get to pray with them. It's a, it's a wonderful ministry. It's still, still going on. Uh, lots of churches are involved in, in, down there at, at Team. And, and uh, so we, we had a lot of stuff, though. A lot of, the canopy was heavy and the chairs and everything. And so uh, if, you know, if you know Main Street, there's not a shoulder. You know, there's just, you have to, there's just two lanes on each side and there's, there's not a shoulder. And so if you're going to unload there, you, we'd have to stop, you know, you have to either stop traffic. We didn't want to do that. And so what Pastor Barry, I think it was his idea. I'm going to blame him for it. Uh, but uh, we started just pulling up on the sidewalk. You know, it's a big sidewalk. We'd pull up on the sidewalk for a second, unload all our stuff, and then park the car. And so one week we were doing this, I had, I had driven, I had pulled up on the sidewalk and uh, we were unloading and a Tomball uh, police officer, one of Tomball's finest, came by and stopped. Uh, and he asked me a question that is very similar to the question that the Pharisees ask Jesus uh, at, at this moment. Uh, who do you think you are? <laughs> By what authority are you parking on the sidewalk? Uh, do you have a license for this? Do you have a, uh, do you, do you have a permit? Uh, and of course, I did not. And so I was happy to, uh, to move my car quickly and not get a citation. But th this is the kind of question that often the authority, whoever the authority is, asks someone they see as out of line. They see one as, as someone who doesn't have the right to do what they've been doing. And so this official delegation, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, comes to Jesus and says, who do you think you are to come in, to teach like you are with authority, to, to clear the temple Right, to clear it of, of the people buying and selling that we had authorized to be there. 
Who do you think you are? By what authority do you do these things? And Jesus, uh, in response, asked a question. He answered them, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or of human origin? And Jesus is really baller. I mean, this is pretty awesome. At first, I thought he was evading. He's just trying not to answer the question. I don't think that's it at all. I think he's actually, he actually is answering the question. In fact, through this next story, we'll see he answers fully uh, who he is. But, but he, 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 I think he's answering this question in a way that reveals something about the people asking him the question. And he does this by setting a trap. By setting a trap, he, he sets up this dichotomy. Tell me, tell me, guys. You answer me, I'll answer you, okay? Uh, tell me. Was the baptism of John, his ministry, was he from heaven or from man? Was he a prophet or was he a false prophet? Which is it? And you can see it's a trap by their, their deliberation. They discussed it among themselves. Verse five, if we say from heaven, he will say, why didn't you believe him? Right? And, and we know what John said, don't we? What, what did John, John was a forerunner of Christ. John said, uh, <laughs> uh, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, this is the one who, who comes before me, who ranks before me. Uh, right? This is the one that I, I, he made straight the way of the Lord. He made his path straight. He wanted to lift up Jesus. So if we say from heaven, he'll say, well, why didn't you believe him? Why don't you believe me? But if we say, verse six, of human origin, all the people will stone us because they're convinced that John was a prophet. And so they say, well, but we can't say he wasn't from God because all the people think he's from God. They'll be, they'll be upset at us. They might stone us. They might, we might be in danger if we make that claim. But they're enslaved to the fear of man as we see throughout the gospels. So they answered, they did not know the origin, right? They take the, the politician's response. I'm gonna plead the fifth on that one. We don't know. What, what's Jesus revealing here? Well, he's revealing their insincerity, right? They won't answer a question. They won't, they won't say, they clearly think John was from, they think the answer is from man. He wasn't a prophet, but they won't say what they think is true because right? they gotta play their game. They gotta, they gotta maintain their image, He's revealing their insincerity. He's also revealing uh, their ineptitude, right? Because if anyone should be able to say this person is a prophet or this person is not a prophet, it's the religious leaders of, of Jerusalem. It's the chief priests. It's the elders. They should be able, they should be the ones who are saying, yes, this is a prophet from God. Listen to him. Or this is not a prophet from God. Don't listen to him. But they dodge. They duck and weave. We're not gonna answer that. And so Jesus says, I, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Right, but they know. <laughs> and I think everyone knows. And everyone sees their insincerity in this moment. And I think this brings up the question of authority and the issue of authority. Because uh, the people who question Jesus, the people who ask the question, who do you think you are? What authority do you do these things? are the people in authority, right? And that's, that's these, uh, these chief priests and elders and scribes. But authority in our time, if we move this to our day, 
the modern West. It's moved from the community, from the family, from institutions um, to the individual now. Right? The individual is the authority. We, we talk about the sovereign self, the sovereign individual. I am uh, the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul, right? as the famous poem says. Another way to say this is that now we are skeptical of all authority, right? be it family or government or institutions or, uh, or even divine, even God's authority. We're skeptical of all authority besides the authority of the self, besides our own authority to judge what is right and what's wrong. And we are now the locus of authority. And so in, in our time, I think that the, who comes, who is the authority that comes to question Jesus, comes to be skeptical of his authority? I don't think it's the leaders anymore. I think it's each one of us. Each one of us, sovereign selves, can evaluate, can be skeptical of Jesus. And I think there's, there's two ways uh, that, that we can be skeptical of Jesus' authority. I think there's two ways that we see this. Um, the first is, is a religious way. Right? There's a religious way to be skeptical uh, of Jesus' authority. I think you see this modeled in uh, the, the religious leaders. Uh, but in, in this way, uh, the, you know, uh, this, this way of, of questioning Jesus being skeptical uh, really believes in righteousness, right? Really believes in, in looking good and in, in doing good and being right, right? Being on, on the right side, and this, this, leads, uh, this leads us to value control, right? Because we have to control, if, if, we, if we want to be right, we have to control. We have to control ourselves, we have to control others, control those around us, right? And we, we grasp for control. And, and this often expresses itself in, in an a emphasis on external rules, right? In, in external, keeping the rules, doing what's right. And we see this with, with the religious leaders, don't we? Again, don't, the, the, I know it's, it's easy to think of these people as villains because of how Jesus speaks to them, but we would not have thought of them as villains. If we, we would have thought of these people as good church people. They were observant. They knew their Bibles. They loved their Bibles. They, they were always at church. They were serving. They were giving, right? These were good church people. But listen, when Jesus himself showed up, they pushed him away. They couldn't handle it. They didn't want him. And I think this defines th this, this way of, of being skeptical, of pushing away at, at Jesus. That uh, I think the, the Pharisee, like the heart of a Pharisee that we're, we're all prone to, uh, I think is we want to follow the rules, right? Follow the rules so I can be good, so I don't have to deal with the person of Jesus, Right? I, I want the, the, uh, the blessings and the, the comforts of religion, but I don't want the uncertainty. I don't want the challenge. I don't want the conviction that comes from dealing with a person, the person of God. I want to keep pushing him away and keep control of my life. This is the religious way. But there's, a, there's also a secular way. Right? There's another way to, to question Jesus' authority. And I think, and I don't think these are mutually exclusive. I think we all can find these in our hearts in different ways. Uh, and whether you're secular or religious, I think you can probably find both of these in your heart and, and in different, different times in different ways. But, but the, the secular way uh, is a, a deep belief in progress. 
right? Deep belief in progress, that we're moving closer and closer to a better future, right? Which is, by the way, a very uh, Christian idea (laughs) that comes from Christianity, right? A lot of uh, Eastern traditional cultures are cyclical. They believe history is a cycle. They they expect downturns. They expect, right? But not us. No, it's always up to the right for us. We're, We're progressing to a better and better future, this, this uh, leads us to value self-expression. Right? We think the way to progress is if everyone can truly express themselves, can truly be who they are, right? can truly say their deepest truth. And this shows itself in, in uh, the valuing choice, right? Freedom of choice, to be able to, to do what I want to do, to make the individual to make the choices, whatever those are, that they feel to be correct and right. It's a high value for that. Oh, and, and on its face, these, these look like very different ways, don't they? They look like very different paths. But I, I think they share a, a core similarity I think they share a core similarity. I got this from, from Mark Sayers. He said, uh, he said our, our post-Christian uh, world, our post-Christian culture, modern Western culture, with its belief in progress, is really, uh, is really uh, asking for wanting a kingdom without the king. By wanting the kingdom without the king. Right, what, what, what do religious people want? They want the blessings of religion. They want the promises of God without the presence of God, without the uncertainty, without the, the, the uh, dependence that they'll need if, if they have to deal with God as a person. What, do secular, what does the secular people want? Well, they want justice and they want hope and they want life and they, they want freedom, but, no, but not if it has to do with God. Not, not, they can let go of God and we're just gonna create these things for ourselves. What do they want? They want a kingdom, but they don't want the king. Every one of us, every one of us, whatever, whatever, whoever we are, if we're modern Western people, which we are, this is our frame of reference. We challenge the authority of Jesus. We, we all say to him, what, by what authority? What authority do you have to tell me what to do with my body? What authority do you have to tell me what to do with my money? What authority do you have to tell me what to do with my time? What authority do you have to tell me what to do with my kids? Who do you think you are? We are the authority that challenges Jesus. And Jesus says that they should know. The next section, he says they should know. He, He begins in verse nine to tell the people a parable. He says, a man planted a vineyard leased it to tenant farmers, went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers so they might give him some fruit from the vineyard. But the farmers beat him, sent him away empty-handed. He sent yet another servant, but they beat that one too, treated him shamefully, sent him away empty-handed. And he he sent yet a third, but they wounded this one. That, That word actually means traumatized this one and threw him out. What's Jesus doing here? Well, as, as Pastor Kevin and I were talking about this this week, 
he, he brought up something that I thought was a pretty good analogy. Uh, uh, you, you know, th- this is, there, it's clear from, from this, this passage and from the end of this uh, that the, the religious leaders know Jesus is talking about them. Like they're, 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 everyone's clear on who is who in the story in this, uh, you know, this, this parable. Um, and and it's, it's very much like, uh, like it, you know, if one of your daughters hits, hits one of your other daughters and you're like, all right, uh, let me tell you a story. There's two bunny sisters and one bunny sister hits the other bunny sister. And you're, you're, it's like, everyone's clear here what the story's about, you know? And just think of it. They're in, they're, they're in this conflict. They have this, this, you know, conflict about authority and Jesus answers them and outs them, won't answer their question, uh, pushes them away. And then he says, let me tell you a story. Once there was a vineyard owner, right? And it's like, okay, everyone knows where the, who this is. Everyone knows that, that these leaders are the tenant farmers in the story. They, they themselves know it. And so the vineyard owner, he leases his vineyard out uh, to tenant farmers to work it for him. Uh, it goes away for a long time. And then he sends back servants to get some fruit, which is his, you know, he's his right. He should be able to do that. But they won't give it to him. They beat him. They treat each servant in, in a row more and more poorly. What, what's, what's Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about what, he, what he's already said to them back in, in chapter 11. Right? Your fathers killed the prophets. Right? You're sons of those who killed the prophets and you'll do the same. And all throughout Israel's history, God has sent his word to them. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet to call his people back, to call them to repentance, to call them to faith, to call them to trust in him alone and not in anything else. And over and over again, they were rejected, they were mistreated, they were thrown out. Verse 13, then the owner of the vineyard said, what should I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they'll respect him. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send my son to him. Maybe they'll have a better chance now. And, and why, why this irrational behavior? I, it, it almost doesn't make sense. It's like, why you sent, okay, I understand I'm sending a servant. It makes sense. Okay, maybe even two. Maybe like, well, that servant didn't do a good job. Maybe this one will do better. But then sending three servants to the same response. And then after that, sending your son, expecting another response, a different response, right? It doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense. But Jesus isn't trying to tell a logical parable here. What, what's he telling? He, he's telling the history of Israel and he's, he's prophesying what will, what's about to happen. And so what are we to make? of these sendings, these three servants and then the son. I think Jesus is saying God is patient. This this shows, I think, the patience of God that he sends over and over and over. He is almost seemingly irrationally patient with his people. And hasn't God been patient with you? Hasn't he been patient with you? Haven't you done things in your life that you know are wrong? You knew it then. Haven't you done things where where it would have been just for God to say, well, that's the end of him. That's enough. Take her out. He would have been right to do that. I have. 
but you're still here. You're still here. Haven't you had times in your life where, where you've gone into deep darkness? Or you've been in the pit where you've been on the edge? And hasn't there, haven't there been people around you, family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, coaches, teacher, whoever, who have reached out to you and have pulled you back from that? Haven't you had people who have loved you faithfully through those kind of times? Isn't that the love of God? Isn't that the kindness and the patience of God to send someone to you like that? We, we are awash in the kindness and the love and the grace of God. Even, even if, if you're here, those of you here who are not believers, who are not Christians, even you, haven't, haven't you experienced the love of God in your life? Are you, you're, you're breathing. You're alive today. Do you wake yourself up? And do you, do you sustain your diaphragm and your lungs so that you take that breath? All night long sleeping, by the way? <laughs> do, do, you, uh, do, do you sustain your brain function? No. Someone does, though. And that's the Lord. He holds all things together. You've experienced the love of God. Don't you have blessings in your life? Don't you have people in your life? Don't you have circumstances in your life that are just good? Every good gift comes from above. All right, like you're saying, hast thou not seen all that is needful has been sent by what he, he's ordaining? He's given us everything. We all experience the love and the grace and the patience of God. And now let's look at who Jesus says he is. In verse 14, as we continue the story, of course, the owner, uh, of course, back in 13, the owner of the vineyard said, what should I do? I'll send my beloved son. Well, who is that? The one that was baptized and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is Jesus. Verse 14, but when the tenant farmers saw him, they discussed it among themselves and said, this is the heir, let's kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. And for the people who were plotting then to kill him, that must have made their blood pressure rise just a little bit. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those farmers and give the vineyard to others. But when they heard this, they said, that must never happen. He says, the tenant farmers... What happens when the son comes? They kill him. They throw him out. And he says, what do you think that the owner of that vineyard will do? Of course what he'll do. He'll come, he'll get some soldiers and he'll kill these evil murderers and he'll take the vineyard from them and he'll give it to someone else. And you can tell that, that the religious leaders know this is about them because they say, that must never happen. Right? They, they realize what Jesus is saying. No, 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 don't take, don't destroy us. Don't take, you can't take, he can't take our blessing away. But Jesus looks at them, verse 17. But he looked at them and the eye contact, the eye contact must have been 
just stunning. Then what is the meaning of this this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He quotes Psalm 118 to them. And he says, the stone the builders rejected, you the builders, those in charge, the leaders of God's people, the builders have rejected a stone. And that stone becomes the cornerstone, the foundation stone, the stone on which everything else is built. Jesus has just said in the last chapter, the, the temple will be torn down stone by stone. Not one stone will remain on itself. But there will be another temple built. A temple not made with stones and wood. A temple made of living stones, as Peter says. The people of God, living stones. We, as stones built on the, the, the cornerstone. The foundation, as Paul says, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself being the cornerstone. Right? Jesus says, I am the cornerstone. I am the, I am the center. I am the foundation. I am the one on which everything is built on which everything depends. In verse 18, he says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. And this echoes Isaiah, imagery from Isaiah. I think Jesus is saying, if you, if you trip over me, if you stumble over me, if you can't accept me, if you can't build your life on the cornerstone on me, you'll be broken. You'll be broken now. And then later, on whomever it falls, when the stone falls, if it falls on you, you will be shattered. Right? Judgment is coming. And this stone, the cornerstone, is going to fall. Is it going to fall on you? Are you going to be shattered? And the scribes and Pharisees, they know he's talking about them. They want to make someone kill them more. Just a few uh, short months later, after Jesus has died and, and is risen and has uh, spoken to his, showed himself and spoken to his, uh, his disciples, given them instructions after he's ascended into heaven, um, Peter and John are, uh, are in the temple and they're, they're walking to the temple to pray. Uh, and they see a lame man, a man who, who hasn't been able to walk since birth. And uh, the, the, he's asking people for money. He's, he begs outside of the temple. And Peter and John say, look at us. And he looks, he thinks they're gonna, he's gonna get some money. And they say, listen, we don't have any change on us, but what, what we do have, we'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And his legs become strong and he gets up and as you can imagine, he starts running around and leaping and praising God, right? And everyone sees him and they go, that's the guy, that, that's the beggar guy. He was on the, and so everyone's rushing together, right? Against to, to Paul or to, to Peter and John. And so they start to preach and Peter's like, hey, it's not our power. This is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. He's the Lord, turn to him, right? He's preaching the resurrection. And unsurprisingly, the authorities aren't happy with this. And so they arrest Peter and John. And in Acts 4, verse 5, in, in, in the temple, right? So same place. The next day, 
their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. The same people who had questioned Jesus only a few months before. After they had, after they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Notice it's the same question. Who do you think you are? By what authority do you do this? What power, what name are you doing this in? Verse eight, then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. And listen to this. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. It's the same people. It's the same question. It's the same answer. This Jesus is the stone that you rejected and it has become, he has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You see, before Jesus was crucified, they asked him, they questioned his authority and they got this answer, I'm the cornerstone. After Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, they questioned the authority of Jesus and they got the same answer. He's the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else. And listen, it's the same for us today. We who question, right? The authority is in us now, isn't it? The, the sovereign self. We who question the authority of Jesus over our lives. We who like to assert our own autonomy. We who like to say, how could, who, who does he think he is to try to rule my life? I am the captain of my soul. We question his authority. And do you know what the answer is? It's the same as it's always been that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, that he is the rock, he is the reality, he's the center, he's the cornerstone of the church, he's the cornerstone of history, he's the cornerstone of the universe, he is the one reality that, with which we must deal. Do you see? He, 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 the, God has entered history. God is not a fairy tale. God has entered history. And he has died, and he has risen, and he is the cornerstone. And if you trip, if you, if, you, if you run from him, if you push him away, then you'll be broken, you'll be shattered. But if you submit, if you submit to him, if you, if you recognize, oh, he has the authority. He's the only one with authority. He's the cornerstone. And you build your life on him, then you will live. When the owner of the vineyard sent his son, his beloved son, the one he loved, he didn't know what would happen to him. He didn't know that he wasn't sure if the tenant farmers would, would beat his son, would, would respect him, would kill him. He didn't know what, what, he didn't know what would happen. But when the Father in heaven, when he sent Jesus, his one and only son, the son that he loves, when he sent him to earth, 
He knew exactly what would happen. He knew that he would be thrown out. He would be crucified outside the gate on Golgotha's hill. And yet he did it. The Father knew, Jesus knew, and yet they did it. They followed through. Don't you see, we, we know, don't you see, we should know. Like we have more than they did. We have all of this revelation. We have the, the history, we have church history. We have so many, so many stories and so many uh, examples, right? Do you see, Christ, God has loved you. Do you know that? Listen, I think the only thing that can break through of the hard heart that wants to be skeptical of every authority, that wants to, to, to push people away, that wants to not, not, let, not let God have everything. But the only thing that breaks through that is the love of God. Do you see, do you know the love of God for you in Christ? That God loved the world. He loved the world in this way. He sent his only son Right? He sent his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him will not perish, will not be broken, will not be shattered, but will have eternal life. You see, he's proven his love for you. Do you know it? Has it warmed your heart? Has it taken your heart of stone and changed it into a heart of flesh? He is the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else. There's no one else who deserves the praise and the honor and the glory. There's no one else who has the authority and the power and the might and the riches and all, all things. You, you know you can't speak too highly of Jesus. It's a wonderful fact about him. You, you try to say something too great about the Son of God. You can't. You can't. He's always worthy. He's worthy of all, every, everything, every, all of our life, all of our praise, all of our energy, all of our money, all of our time, everything. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's the cornerstone. He's loved us. Won't you, won't you trust him? Won't you trust him? Let's pray. As the band comes, I'd like to give you a moment just to, to reflect in your heart, to, to respond to what God is saying to you through his word today. Maybe you're here today and you didn't even plan to be here. You don't, you're not even really sure why you're here. Um, I, I just, I'd like to share with you why you're here. You're here because God loves you. 
does. It's amazing. It's true. Maybe you've never seen Jesus as so central, so important to deal with. Maybe he's, you just haven't thought much about him. I'd encourage you. Maybe you've got your work cut out for you this week. To spend time with him, to read the Bible, to talk with a Christian friend, to pray, to deal with the cornerstone. Maybe you're here and, and you're just awash with the love of God. Right? Do you feel the love of God? You, you, is your heart strangely warmed? <laughs> you have a joy in you that is, is different. Do you know I don't have the power to do that? <laughs> and even for me, I don't have the power to change my own heart. If, if that's you, then that's the Holy Spirit in your heart telling you God loves you. Listen, maybe that's the, this is the first time and you need to surrender. I, I do. I want to surrender. I need to. Please come. Please come talk to us. Come find me. Find one of the prayer partners in the back as we sing. We'd love to speak with you and pray with you. Father, we're so grateful for your great love for us. Though we rebels all <laughs> don't deserve your love, though we question your authority again and again, you've been patient and kind, and you've proven your love for us by dying for us while we were still your enemies. those in here who don't know you would you pour your love into their hearts would they know you Lord for, for those of us who do know you your sons and daughters oh we struggle to believe it we struggle too to know that you love us to really believe it it's so hard so help us pour your love into our hearts too again revive us again all in the powerful name, the only name, Jesus. Jesus.